You may be seated. The title of today's sermon is Pray for Us, but I've given it a subtitle. Subtitle is Live by Prayer, and by that I mean that you and I should pray about everything in our lives, and I hope you'll see why I say this. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of 2 Thessalonians, but before we read our verses together, let's look at the general situation that was going on when Paul wrote this letter. The book of Acts gives us a history of the early Christian church. And when you read the book of Acts, you see strong reactions to the good news, which is the good news of God's rescue through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It was life-changing for those people who embraced the news. It was life-changing for both Jews and Gentiles, for people who were religious and people who were not religious. Other people thought that it was ridiculous. How could our rescuer have been crucified? And then some Jews thought that the good news was not only ridiculous, but it was heresy, that it was a perversion of the Jewish faith. That was the Apostle Paul's first response. He said it was heresy. But remember that God's ways are not our ways. It's not, God's ways are not the ways that we as humans would do things. Jesus came as the Messiah, as our rescuer, but he rescued us by dying and dying as a criminal. Jesus won by failing, or so it seemed. Jesus taught that the way to be great was to serve. I've heard some people call God's kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that many people thought they needed. Well, now let's take a minute and look at the life of Paul, the man who wrote the letter that we are looking at. If you look at the book of Acts and his letters, you can tell that Paul had one speed, and that was 100%. Paul started as an overachiever Pharisee who was totally against Christianity. But then Paul's life was changed by his encounter <clears throat> with the resurrected Jesus. And Paul wanted other people to hear the same news, good news, that changed his life. And so Paul traveled often in a day when travel was hard and dangerous. Paul endured rejection by some people so that other people would embrace God's good news. Paul prayed and he taught and he recruited gospel workers. He also worked to support himself in a day where he actually had the option to be supported and was at times. And Paul says that he was compelled to do all of this by his love for Jesus and his love for other people. And this was a love that he did not have before he met Jesus. And then as you read Paul's letters to the Christians at Thessalonica, you can see his heart for them. You can see that he cares for them. He prays for them. He teaches them and he encourages them. And so that leads me to two questions for us about these two ideas we've looked at so far. 
How do you and I respond to the good news? Do we, is it life-changing for us? Do we really say, yes, this is good news? Or do we treat it like old news? And then second question, what attitude do we have? What attitude do we have towards other Christians and towards people who are not yet Christians? Yes. Yeah, if you didn't hear that, there was a little, oh boy. Okay. Uh, As my dad used to say, I quit preaching and I've gone to meddling. These are two questions that give us something that we need to think about. Now, so far in our letter, the second letter that Paul wrote to to the Thessalonians, he's been helping them deal with some false teaching about Jesus' second coming. But at this point, Paul changes direction a little bit because he's now going to involve his audience in his work. So remain seated, and let's read together from the screen, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. Let's read this together. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You notice that Paul begins this section of his letter with the word finally and actually uses the word to begin his conclusion. Now, I say this because for some preachers, the word finally does not mean finally at all. It's just another way to keep on going. And so as you're sitting listening, and I've heard a few of these sermons, it's like, oh, my goodness, when is he going to get done? Not that it's necessarily a bad sermon that you're listening to. But you think he's telling you, oh, we're we're almost to the end. We're about to land. Oh, no, he's back up again. We're going to go for another little bit. Paul says, finally. And then Paul asks the Thessalonian Christians to pray for him. And so this leads me to my first of three important ideas that I want you to see. If you put up the slide, Paul is not trying to do life on his own. So in one sense, Paul was being very un-American. Okay, here and in other letters, Paul asks the people he's writing to, the people that he is praying for, he asks them to pray for him. And this is a good thing for us to copy. We should ask other Christians to be praying for us and not just when things are particularly bad. I don't know about you, you know, Bruce was talking about how his God used his wife to help him. God's used my wife to help me. I'm Sometimes at home working on a project and I am stuck. And she'll come by and say, she'll see, are you stuck? Yes. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? Have you prayed? Oh, no. So that's a reminder for me to pray. But, you know, I think if you've experienced this, there's something special that happens when you're stuck and somebody comes along and says, oh, you know what? Let me pray for you. And we can ask people. We don't have to wait for somebody to offer. You can ask other people to pray for you, but don't wait until things have to be bad. 
yes, you can ask people to pray when you're having troubles and struggles, but we can also share with other people how God has been good to us so that they can thank God with us. Now, as you look in our verses, you can see that the prayer that Paul asks for isn't focused on himself. Paul asked the Thessalonians, the Christians there, to pray that the word of God would spread, that more people would hear the good news, and that more people would respond positively to the good news. I think that's a key word there because he already knows that there are plenty of people, as we're going to talk about, respond negatively. He's saying, ask God to work so that more people respond positively to the good news. Now, when you look at the book of Acts, it is clear that it wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just missionaries like Paul and Barnabas. And it wasn't just the pastors of the churches of, of each of the local congregations that shared the good news of Jesus with other people. The church members were also sharing. And so it was far more likely in that day that a person would first hear God's word at work or in their family or from a friend through a personal conversation as part of a relationship. Now, here's the thing. Talking about God with others is easier when you and I live life with God every day and involve him in everything we're doing. You see, if you and I are talking to God all through the day, it is much more natural than that we'll talk about God with the people around us. But here's the other thing. People shouldn't just hear God's word from us. They should see God's word in action as as we as Christians live our lives, daily lives, at work, in the store, in the neighborhood, with your family, wherever. And that's because our relationship with God is to affect every area of our lives. But remember this. God is the one who uses his word to accomplish his purposes. I don't know about you, but as I've read history, in particular church history, I've wondered, why is it at times it seems that the church is going well? It is growing, it is expanding, and other times it is struggling both internally and externally. Or why, if you see one person hear about God's good news, they couldn't care less about it, but somebody else accepts it. Why is that? It's all part of God's plan for his church. And so you and I can pray and should pray like Paul did, that God would grow his kingdom. That is, that the word of God would spread and would be honored and embraced and accepted. And then Paul also reminds the Thessalonian Christians of their encounter. He mentions when you encountered the word of God and how God used it to change their lives. And then in verse 2, Paul has a second part to his prayer. He asked the people to pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Now, I forget which cartoon it was that said, we have met the enemy and they are us. Thank you. Okay, Pogo. Okay, so that's a little uh, picture of showing what the Bible tells us, is that the natural condition for all of mankind is that, Enmity with God. We are enemies with God. 
And enmity with God results in people being in conflict with the Christian church and with individual Christians. And so his request flows right into Paul's next statement in verse 3, or he says, not all people have faith in God. Now, there are many other religions and faiths in the world, and I'm going to include secularism in that list. Religion has to do with ultimate questions, such as the origin of the universe, man's purpose, and the existence, the existence of character of God and other things. And you might wonder why I included secularism. Well, it is very big in the West right now, in the United States. And it is the belief that man doesn't need God, doesn't need God's law, but it also speaks to man's origin and man's purpose. So you look at that, it has to do with ultimate things. It is a religion, even though many people wouldn't say that it is. Well, Christianity, when you compare Christianity to other religions, Christianity is different than other religions because it's not man-made. We didn't come up with it. God is the one that came up with Christianity, and God shares it and shows us about it in the Bible, which is his word. Now, in most religions, the, the, the people are told, here's this to-do list for you. Here are these things that you need to do, and if you do these kinds of things, maybe you're going to please the God of that religion, and though it's not said out loud that often, maybe you'll actually get the things you're wanting the God to do for you. Christianity, again, is different from other religions in that God acted first, and God acted first at great personal cost to himself to benefit us, when he makes it very clear, we don't deserve it. So not all people have faith in God, and, and not all people accept the Bible as the Word of God. Let me give you one other example of that. There are some seminaries today, and I put seminaries in quotes, that teach that the Bible is just a collection of human writings. They didn't come up with the idea. It's actually been around a long time, at least 150 years or longer. Um, but they're still there teaching. And so basically what they're teaching is the Bible has no power, God has no power, and the implied is it's all up to you. I would never say it that way, but it's the consequence. It's the conclusion, logical end that you end up with if that's the case. In verse 3, Paul says God is faithful. So in contrast to mankind, God is always faithful. Or if you're a person who likes double negatives, God can't be unfaithful. He cannot be unfaithful. It's part of his perfection. God is faithful. But here's the thing. You and I don't always think that God is faithful. And that's because we don't always understand what God is doing or if we can see what God is doing, we just don't like it. Now, one of, the, one of the things that I try to convey is that we can be honest with God and say, God, I don't like what's happening right now. But we don't end the prayer there. We're going to keep going. And remember this. We've already talked about God's ways are not our ways. 
God's ways, he said, are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours because he's wiser than we are and greater than we are. And so if we think things are not going right, we're not lined up with what God is doing. And he may or may not explain to our satisfaction in the moment what he's doing. But what we know is he is faithful. And not only is God faithful and consistent, but God is good. And then Paul goes on to talk to the Thessalonians and says that God will establish you. And I believe that what Paul is saying here is that God will strengthen each Christian and will enable each Christian to work in his kingdom. And then along with this, he goes on to say God will guard Christians against the evil one. Now, our verses, we only had five verses. But in those five verses, he's already talked about evil men, and now he talks about the evil one. And the evil one is Satan. He's real. He does not have a, a little pitchfork and a little forked tail. Okay? But I believe that he hates people because people are made in the image of God, and Satan hates God. This takes me to key idea number two, if you put up the slide. To be guarded by God does not mean that we won't have any problems or difficulties. In fact, God makes it very clear we are going to have both while we live on this earth. So what does it mean that God guards us? God is with us. He is our strength. He is our peace in the difficult situations. He is in control. God is the one who provides a way through every temptation that we face. God is the one who limits the challenges that he allows us so that we can never say, I had no choice, I had to give in. I just had to. There was no other way out. There's always another way out. There's always a way through that God provides. Then in verse 4, Paul continues, we have confidence in the Lord about you. So notice that Paul's confidence isn't in the people he's writing to. Paul knows the human condition. Paul's confidence is in God. And part of, of, of seeing ourselves clearly is to agree with God that all of us, left to ourselves, will not be consistently faithful to God. We will not love others well, and we will not serve others well. Not if it's just left up to us. And that's one reason why you and I need to pray and ask others to pray for us and why we also need to be depending on God. Which actually is not always taught that clearly in the Christian church. We need to depend on God. But then Paul just seamlessly flows from asking for prayer and speaking about God to praying for the Thessalonian Christians. Now, it would be unusual today in a conversation for me to be talking to you and say, hey, would you please pray for me? And you know, this is what's going on, and God says this and this and this. And oh, by the way, let me pray for you right now. God, you know, I'm going to pray that God will do this. That would seem to us to be a strange conversation, but not for Paul. Because Paul's life was saturated with prayer. Just like Jesus' life was saturated with prayer. 
And so in the book of Ephesians, Paul is, is teaching and just seamlessly moves straight in from teaching to a prayer of praise. In Thessalonians, he is reminding them, he was teaching them and reminding them of what he had already taught about Jesus' second coming and just flows straight into, oh, and oh, by the way, would you please pray for me? Pray that the word of God would spread. And then Paul can just seamlessly move from an encouragement to a prayer for the people he's thinking of. And that's why I label, I gave the, the sermon, the subtitle, Live by Prayer, which takes me to important point number three. Every part of our lives can and should be prayed about. Every part. And our prayers should not just be asking God for things for ourselves. I'll talk about that more in just a minute. So in verse 5, we see what it is that Paul prayed for the people. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, again, here's our natural condition. You and I don't naturally have God's love in us, in the Greek agape love. And we don't naturally have perseverance for the things of God. God is the one who puts his love in the hearts of each Christian. And God is the one who enables each Christian to persevere in life. That's why I mentioned for Paul. How did Paul start out? As a Pharisee, as a person who naturally would look at others and compare them to a standard and condemn them. To a person who loved others. How did that happen? God put his love in Paul. And that's what God can do for us. And so Paul asks God to do that. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love. Let me finish by highlighting two thoughts. Paul, in his letter, as he writes, he's writing to help the Thessalonians to live the Christian life. So let's do a little comparison here. You put up the next slide. What are the choices we have for sources of wisdom for living? You notice I only put three. We have ourselves, we have other people, and we have God. If we look at ourselves... And we're honest. One of the things that we will say is, you know what? I, I'm limited. There are things I do not know. In fact, as some very smart people that I've heard speak, they say, the more that I know, the more that I don't know. So we're limited. And secondly, we're faulty, which is a way of saying not perfect. Not only do we make mistakes, but sometimes we make bad choices. Not a good source. We're going for wisdom for living. And when you look at other people, you get more of the same. But often when we look to others for wisdom, what we get is a philosophy or a religion. But the same problems come with other people as with ourselves. Limited knowledge, faulty, not perfect. That leaves God, who is our creator and sustainer. And I add sustainer because God is actively working today in our lives. He's what actually holds everything together. And he's perfect. And so praying to God can connect us to God's wisdom. And notice I use the word can. It's not an automatic. But it can connect us to God's wisdom when we're doing more in our prayers than just asking God for things. 
Because think about how things work. If you're a parent and you've got children and if they come to you, can I have this, can I have that, can I have the other? Who's the one that has the plan in their mind? It's the child. Have they shared with you what that plan is? Probably not. Maybe, sometimes, but not all the time. But you and I do that with God. God, would you provide me with this kind of house, with this kind of job, with this kind of car, with this kind of family, all these things? Why? Because if I had all that, then my life would be just the way I want it. And we're, gonna, we're not going to say that to God. But if we're the one asking, doing all the asking, then we're basically trying to be in control. So if you put up the last slide, prayer has four parts. If you want, to, This is one way of looking at prayer. Prayer includes praising God for who he is, thanking God for what he does, confessing to God our needs and our weaknesses and our failures, and then asking God to work in our lives and asking God to work in the lives of others. This is a little bit like the acronym ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Praising God, thanking God, confessing, and asking God to work in our lives. Now, I'm not going to put this as a rule, because as human beings, we can take anything good, including what God has given us, and mess it up. And usually when we make a rule, we end up misapplying it and missing the point that's behind the rule in the first place. But here we go. The more praising and thanking, the first two, more praising and thanking, and I'll add the third one, confessing, that you and I do, the more that I believe that our asking, which is number four, will line up with God's word and with God's will. Why does it work like that? Because when you and I praise God, when you and I thank God, we're actually looking at God and we're thinking about who he is. And we're thinking about what God does. And hopefully we're remembering what we've learned about God's plan. And we get re-centered on God. And in the confessing, it's not just our weaknesses and failures, but it's also our needs. Looking to God, almost as in a business arrangement, God, you've made me a Christian, you've called me, and you say that you'll provide everything I need. So now we come to the asking, help me to see what it is I need. And then help me to do. Our asking gets reshaped as we include those first three. Now, you and I can have this kind of relationship with God, with this kind of prayer life with God, only because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so today... We celebrate the life and the relationship that Jesus bought for us through his death on the cross as we celebrate communion. I'll ask Paul and Dennis if you'll come up. So this is a meal of remembrance so when you get the bread, it's just a little piece of bread. When you get the juice or the wine, it's just a teen little bit. It's to remind us. And what Jesus did 
on that last Passover meal, he took a meal that the Jewish, Jewish uh, nation had been celebrating for hundreds and hundreds of years, celebrating how Jesus delivered the people from slavery to Egypt and got their freedom. And he takes two parts of that meal, the bread and the wine, and he makes it into a new meal of remembrance to remember our freedom from slavery to sin. So what we're going to be doing is, and Dennis and, and Paul are going to be going to pass out the elements. They're, going to, they're not going to pass the tray like we have done in the past. They're going to hold the trays. We have the bread. If you want gluten-free bread, that will be in the uh, trays with the cups. And if uh, you prefer juice, grape juice instead of wine, that's in the, the pre-prepared all-in-one cups. And if you still would, are more comfortable wanting something prepackaged, we're offering those as well. But think with me for just a minute what it is that Jesus did, what he has done for us. We're called by God. He made us to be in relationship with him, and he calls us to love him and obey him and enjoy him perfectly, and we don't. Instead, we say, I'm going to go my way. I know better, and that's called rebellion. And so Jesus lived the perfect life that we're called to live, but don't and can't. Then he died in our place as our substitute, and his death was completely sufficient. Totally satisfied God's justice. He totally took on himself all of God's wrath that God's wrath that our rebellion deserves. And he satisfied all of that so that God could look at us and love us and adopt us. And not only that, Jesus gave us his spirit in us, as Bruce was talking about earlier. The power to enable us to live the kind of life that he calls us to. The spirit is the one that works in us, giving us the desires that we need, that God calls us to have, and then enables us to, to respond to God and enables us to love others just as, as he did that 180 reverse in Paul's life. Jesus has done all of this, and he promises eternal life and a relationship that begins now. We don't have to wait and hope that maybe it's going to happen. We can know for sure today. And this is the reminder. This meal is the reminder. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for knowing that we need this reminder, giving us this reminder. Lord, we thank you for, loving, for, for uh, dying in our place and for purchasing us not only freedom, but adoption as children and love and an inheritance. Remind us as we take the bread, as we take the wine and the juice, remind us of your love for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you have received that gift that Jesus offered of being our substitute, if you acknowledge to God, God, I have no hope on my own, only through Jesus Christ and what he has done. If you have received that gift, if you, made a, if you have already made a public statement of your trust in Jesus, and if you've been baptized, you're welcome to participate in the meal. But there's a warning that's given as well. 
in the scriptures. And that is that we are to take this meal in a, in a worthy manner, which means we come to God saying, God, this is me. This is who I am, and I know I need you. But he gives us this warning that if you're a Christian, but today you have some desire that you, if you, have, you know God, but you put some desire above God, your loves are out of order. And this is an opportunity for you to get your loves in the right order. And so the warning is, don't say, you know what, I'm going to stick with my desire and I'm going to pass by the meal. God says, no, no. Open your hand, let God be in charge, take the meal, and trust that God will do you good because not only is he faithful, but he's good. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you haven't, this is, you, you don't understand yet, then don't take the meal but think about what it is that God offers. We are naturally enemies with God, and he offers to change that relationship from enemy to friend, and he does all the heavy lifting. He does all the work needed to make that happen. We're going to be singing as we are taking, and I'm going to ask you as you receive the bread, just hold it. Elders, we're going to uh, have the bread, ask you to hold it, We'll do the juice and the wine, and then we will take the, those two together. Go ahead. Oh, welcome. Let's sing together. Welcome all you noble saints of old As now before your very eyes unfold The wonders all so long ago foretold God and man at table are sat down God and man at table are sat down. Elders, elders, martyrs, all are falling down. And prophets, patriarchs are gathering round. What angels long to see now man has found. God and man at table are sat down. God and man at table are sat down. Who is this who spreads the victory feast? Who is this who makes our warring cease? Jesus, risen Savior, Prince of Peace. God and man at table are sat down. God and man at table are sat down. Cool. <laughs> 
beggar's lame. Beggar's lame and harlots also hear. Repentant publicans are drawing near. Wayward sons come home without a God and man at table are set down. God and man at table are set down. Worship in the presence of the Lord. Worship in the presence of the Lord. With joyful songs and hearts in one accord. And let our host of table be adored. God and man at table are set down. God and man at table are set down. When at last, when at last this earth shall pass away. When Jesus send his bride, our one to stay. Don't touch it. The feast of love is just begun that day. God and man at table are sat down. God and man at table are sat down. We didn't prepare the lyrics for this this morning, but if you want to sing in Christ alone the first verse with me, if you know it, let's sing together. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Sing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so.
that night at the Passover meal, Jesus took the bread, the matzah, and he broke it. And he said it represented his body that was going to be broken. In Isaiah 53, we see that with Jesus' stripes, with the pain that he endured in his body, we are healed. We are made whole. Eat.